Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Biscuit Show. I'm your host, Jackson Watkins, a former basketball player at the University of North Carolina who is now living and working in New York City but wants to contribute to the Carolina faithful, the Carolina fan base, and give his takes on the Carolina basketball season. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a couple weeks. I think I've missed... Uh, Missed just a couple weeks here with the pod, but I hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. It's certainly been a, uh, a fun two weeks for me. I was able to go home, uh, take a little bit of uh, time off from work, and also enjoy some, some really, uh, really good basketball games, uh, both played by UNC and across the country. Um, it's definitely gearing up for a really exciting season as we get into conference play. Uh, but in this episode, we're going to cover the Kentucky game, which unfor- unfortunately ended in a loss, as well as the Oklahoma game, which many are deeming as the Brady Manic Bowl since he played at both schools, um, which we won, which was played in Charlotte, essentially a home game for us. But uh, yeah, we're going to touch on those two games, touch on the Carolina football bowl game, which didn't go quite as well as we might have hoped. Um, and then we're going to dive into some Q&A and then finish up with my favorite story time where I tell you a story from a randomly generated game that I played in my two-year career at Carolina. Um, really looking forward to it. This is going to be the last one of the year. Sad hours. But uh, it's been a fun year, fun time to start the podcast. Um, so let's dive right into it. But first, let me remind you about that one time that I got everybody biscuits. Ninety-seven points. Let's see the three. Jackson Watkins plays the house at the Dean Last time on The Biscuit Show, we had the legendary Brady Manic on as the first co-host. I know I had my mom on as the first guest of the podcast, but uh, this was a full episode, full-length episode with Brady. Um, I hope I hope everybody enjoyed it. It was, it was the most uh, listened to, I almost said most viewed, but uh, it was the most listened to podcast out of the eight episodes thus far in the season. Um, I think everybody really enjoyed it. It was really fun for Brady and I. Um, you know, we love catching catching up with each other, hearing how our lives are going. But I think we really liked reminiscing on uh, the magical March Madness run that we had a couple of years ago in my junior season and in his graduate year season. Uh, and I'm really proud of you know what he's doing, playing professionally, playing in Lithuania. I know he's doing big things. He's getting better um and playing playing up in his league for sure um so i'm really excited to see where he goes hopefully he can you know keep climbing the ladder and eventually play in the euro league um i think that's his goal so uh last episode was an awesome time um and hopefully we can we can have him back on the show eventually or have some other guests to uh to spice it up a little bit um but let's go ahead and dive into the first game of sort of the two game podcast recap i'm doing um, against Kentucky, I think obviously Kentucky is is another blue blood along with Carolina. So this is sort of a classic blue blood matchup. 
Um, especially going into the game, I think we've had a pretty brutal non-conference stretch. Um, and even though it's a challenge, I think it's really an opportunity to to prove ourselves. Uh, last year, in my senior season, we sort of ran into the fact that we hadn't exactly played or won enough big games to get us into the tournament, um, you know, to put on a resume. And I think, you know, with the whole quad system, which is really screwed up in my opinion, it really doesn't make much sense to me. You know, we beat Ohio State when they're a quad one team, and then by the end of the season they're they're not a quad one win, so it doesn't really help us in any way. So not to dive too much into that, but I think, you know, the strength of schedule that we've played is really impressive thus far and I think you know even though we lost a close one to Kentucky it's really gonna uh, help us out down the line both in preparing us for big games as well as um, you know giving us a good resume uh, when it comes tourney time Um, I'd say I mean it was pretty simple why we lost to Kentucky Uh, two reasons we turned the ball over way too many times Um, I believe we had 18 turnovers no, 17 turnovers, <laughs> whether it's 17 or 18 really doesn't matter because that's way too many. Um, you know, I think when I was on the team, we tried to keep it below 10. Um, you know, so we wanted single-digit turnovers. That means we're getting more possessions, getting more shots, and ultimately getting more points on the board. Um, so that that immediately puts us at a disadvantage. Um, and then the other thing, which I think was the main problem, um, we got out-rebounded. Uh, we allowed them 18 offensive rebounds and they out-rebounded us by 11, which, you know, especially having Mondo down low, um, you know, it's disappointing, but I think we can learn from it. Obviously, this was a young team in Kentucky, four freshman starters, I believe, which is always embarrassing, but, you know, it is to be expected against Kentucky. They always bring in really talented freshmen uh, and they're physical and, and uh, athletic and huge across the board so rebounding the, against them is always going to be tough um, but we, we certainly didn't give them much of a challenge on that front uh, and honestly it's sort of a miracle that the game was a four-point game I mean we only lost by four and we were down I believe 10 points uh, three times, I think, and we sort of brought it back close, and then they go on a run to bring to widen it back out by ten. So we came back a couple times, um, and and fought pretty hard. But I think the disadvantages that we were going up against, you know, on the rebounding front and on the turnovers front, just proved to be a little bit too much in the long run. Um, I guess I'll stop here. Even you know, even though it was a tough loss. Um, I think it certainly lived up to the hype of UNC versus Kentucky. Um, Personally, my aunt uh, is from Kentucky, so she grew up in Kentucky, and she's a diehard Wildcat, Um, (laughs) which is funny because, like, growing up, every Kentucky game, I'd be worried if they won because the next time I saw her, not even the next time I saw her, I knew I was going to get a letter in the mail, Um, you know, saying hi to me of course but there's there was always going to be that jab of you know Kentucky winning but you know it was the same when UNC won I mean every time I'd see her I'd I'd joke with her about uh you know how much fun it was watching the 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 most recent game so personally it's been one of my favorite matchups growing up 
Um, but also, there's history. I mean, some of the all-time games between the two teams have have come um, against each other. And I think the one that stands out to me the most is, and this is probably going to be most people, um, is Luke May's game winner to send us to the Final Four in uh, – in 2017 he and it was a it was a great game with future pros on both teams Malik Monk hit an absolutely crazy three-pointer to tie it up and then uh the heels come down uh come down the come flying down the court Theo Pinson pushing the ball has a little shovel pitch back to Luke May just inside the three-point line cashes out for a long two-pointer to win the game fist pump for the ages um certainly a hype moment for all unc fans so and that you know that was just one game there's countless others i went to the unc kentucky game i think it was 2015 maybe it was way back when it was in the dean dome it was a whiteout. i remember willie collie stein was on the other team we had marcus page bryce johnson it was absolutely an electric game i believe kentucky was like top five at that time um so there's definitely a lot of history, a lot of personal experience on my front that, you know, was was hyping up this game. So even though it was a loss, I think it it definitely the the competitive nature of this game certainly added to the rivalry, um, which is great to see. On a on a final note, I'll add the uh, the Kentucky point guard um, Rob Dillingham is a bucket. I'll get that out of the way. He's a bucket. He's one of their best players um, and one of the best ISO players, I think, in college basketball. Uh, And I'll stop here and say that when I was a freshman on the JV basketball team, Rob and his team, I believe, I forget the name of the team he was playing on. He was playing on a team, sort of like a prep league or a a prep high school, a high school prep team, (laughs) finally, Um, a high school prep team. They came in the Dean Dome. Uh, Again, this was my freshman year on the JV team. And he absolutely cooked us. And when I say us, I mean myself. Uh, I, I was tasked with guarding him at the point guard spot. And I swear he dropped like 35 or something. Uh, there was some mixtape like put out about him dropping 30 plus points on us. And I was all over that mixtape, including like a step back three at the very end of regulation. Like it was just bad. So... Ever since then, I've had Rob Dillingham's name engraved in my brain, um, and it certainly did not help to see him cook the heels yet again, albeit at a much on a but much bigger stage. But uh, it was sort of a small world, um, small world story, I guess. It, it was cool to see you know him grow up and be a great player now at Kentucky, and I'm sure he's going to be a great pro. I think he's projected first round, so. That'll be interesting interesting to see and you know one thing I'm grateful for with basketball is some of those some of those stories some of those just small personal connections and memories with guys who you know you never know who's going to turn out to be a pro um and that's sort of one of those stories so well that's enough of Kentucky I want to dive into the Oklahoma Bowl which is really cool um so let's dive into that now The Brady Manic Bowl 
is what they were calling this matchup. Uh, and by they, I mean Twitter. Um, I love Twitter. It's a, you find out how funny people can get, how creative they can get. Um, so some, I remember seeing some tweet. Somebody called it the Brady Manic Bowl. I really love it. Um, and I think it might stick. You know, I think from now on, whenever Carolina plays Oklahoma, maybe – Maybe it's next year when conferences realign. Maybe it's a couple years from now, um, you know, when there's a, another tournament, you know, non-conference tournament. Maybe it's 50 years from now when who knows what's, what happens. I think that for the rest of time, whenever this matchup occurs, it will be known as the Brady Manic Bowl. As I'm sure everybody who's listening to this knows, Brady played at Oklahoma for four years before transferring to Carolina and candidly I think we all know where his allegiance lies um I can neither confirm nor deny is it nor or is it or I can neither conform (laughs) I can neither confirm nor deny that he told me that his allegiance lies with Carolina but you you didn't hear it from me because I didn't I don't I didn't say it okay I don't know what you're talking about um but I think there it was highly anticipated. Oklahoma was undefeated coming into this game. They were ten and zero, playing very well. Um, however, I noticed, uh, you know, in in my scouting report that I do before every game, I noticed that they really hadn't played anyone. Um, they hadn't had big time games like I was saying before with us. Uh, you know they had blown out some smaller schools i feel i felt like they hadn't really had a a true challenge so coming into the game i really had a good feeling uh and i think from the jump it was pretty apparent that we were the better team um obviously they're fast physical team they got up and down uh very quickly and they're a scrappy team but um we sort of jumped out to a quick lead like five to seven points and Throughout the rest of the game, we sort of held that cushion and eventually pushed it out to, you know, 10, 12 points. Um, and they, you know, towards the end, they sort of brought it in tighter, which was a little bit concerning. But, uh, you know, we held them off um, due to some clutch buckets from RJ. But ended up winning by 12. Um, a super interesting game, super fun to watch. Uh, I think the, the moral of this story, the moral of this game um, that I took away was that R.J. Davis continues to be the face of this team. Even though his streak of four games with 26 or more points came to an end, he scored 23. I mean, come on. If that's like suddenly an off game for somebody, that's a very good sign. Um, He's playing exceptionally well. I guess that makes five games with 23 or more which might be a streak of some sort. Um, But shooting it exceptionally from three, he was five for nine. He's really efficient with the ball in his hands. Zero turnovers in the game. Um, Five assists, four rebounds. He continues to amaze people, you know, not just with his razzle-dazzle, but with his his consistency, his um, stability and trust with the ball. Uh, I think... The best thing he did this game was, you know, whenever Oklahoma tried to make a run, he made a big play, whether it was, you know, attacking the rim and finishing. He had a crazy drive. He, he drove to his left, 
stopped on a dime in midair and sort of floated the ball over his defender. Um, you know, a little tough floater. And honestly, floaters are probably the toughest shot in basketball. Um, and to do it at full speed, coming to a complete stop, it was just really fun to watch. Um, so he, you know, whether it was making a play like that or nailing a clutch step back three, um, he made some very timely shots that helped us down the line. So that was awesome to watch. Um, you know, Mondo played a great game. He had 14, 14 points, eight rebounds. Um, again, he, you know, he wasn't as dominant as I think the Carolina fan base knows him to be, but he certainly played an integral role in cleaning up the boards, being a, you know, a trusty, a trusty player. He knocked down free throws down the stretch, and you know he even hit his second three of the season. He uh, he looked like prime Ray Allen popping out to the corner for three. I don't even. I mean, the shot clock might have been sort of low, which is probably why he shot it. But he was uh, he was open in the corner, stepped out, got both feet, both of his big feet behind the line, and uh, nailed a three and made sure to hold up the three-point sign, at, you know, as he ran back down the floor. Um, so that was really funny, and the whole, you know, the crowd went wild. Um, Cormac played pretty well again. Uh, you know, I think we had a really balanced scoring effort. We had Cormac with 13 points, Harrison with 11, Elliott with 7, and then Jay Wash, Jay Witt, and Seth with 4, 4, and 5, respectively. Um so again, like this is a this is a really deep team. I think we have weapons, and this actually brings me to another point. <clears throat> I thought, you know, I'm a I'm a big math guy. I love stats. Um, I thought that it might be cool to see if there's a correlation between scoring concentration and wins, because I think, you know, naturally, I feel like if you have less concentrated scoring, as in like you're not reliant on one or two big time scores you probably have a greater probability of winning given it's harder to stop like five really good players as opposed to like one or two superstars um so maybe i should pull the stats but i think generally speaking continuing you know to have a deep bench who can score i think it bodes well for us and you know against oklahoma i think everybody did their part um, you know, and contributing to a team win. So that was really cool to see. I'll also say that, you know, this game was played in Charlotte, a neutral site. <laughs> neutral site, yeah, right. Um, it was basically a home game for us. Uh, luckily, I took a few work from home days, so I was able to go uh, to the game in Charlotte a couple days before Christmas, and um, it was a blast. I got to see uh, my buddy Will, who was a manager, at UNC when I was on the team. Um, you know, he's in Charlotte now. I got to see a couple of my buddies who live in Charlotte. Uh, there's definitely a large fan base of Carolinians, of Tar Heels, uh, in Charlotte. So it was a home game. Um, the stadium was rocking. It felt like every run we had, the entire stadium was on its feet, cheering. Um, and I think we played really good defense. Uh, this was a really athletic team and they're hard to guard one-on-one but there were multiple times especially Cormac he was heating up the ball clapping getting deflections um I think we really got after it on the defensive end and you know when the crowds on you know after a big bucket 
crowds on their feet and we're going, you know, 20, 25 seconds deep into the shot clock on defense, that's when the crowd can really help. They get really loud. And then typically, like Oklahoma had to do a couple times, they chuck up a, a bad shot or turn it over or throw it out of bounds. So I think on both ends of the floor, offense and defense, I think we played a really complete game. It wasn't our best, you know, all around. I think there were definitely some lapses, but given the environment, given the sort of must-win scenario after losing to UConn and Kentucky, I think we responded well. Um, We snapped their their winning streak to give them their first loss um, and brought us to a solid record of 8-3. And and I say solid because, you know, looking at the numbers, I think 8-3 – you know, you might not think it's the best, but when you think that those three losses are to number five UConn, number eight Kentucky, and Villanova. I mean, Villanova's not ranked, but they're always a solid team. Um, And then we also have a win over number six Tennessee and number 12 Oklahoma. Um, I feel really good, you know, about uh, about our positioning now. We're ranked number nine in the AP poll. Um, so, I mean, I think we're in a really good position, you know, before diving into the ACC, uh, ACC conference play. Um, but it's really, it, this is when you, you prove your worth. Um, I think early in the, in the conference schedule is where a lot of the good teams slip and a lot of the great teams separate themselves. Um, I think we can make a run through the conference. Obviously, there are some really good teams this year. Clemson's looking very nice. I think they're ranked, yeah, they're ranked top 25, I think. They're 18th. Duke is 16th. Um, Virginia's not ranked, you know, top 25, but they're always solid. They're always going to be a a disciplined team, a hard-to-beat team, especially on the road. So I think looking ahead, we've got a lot of potential. We can separate ourselves, but... You know, making it through the gauntlet that was our non-conference schedule, I think eight and three is exactly where we want to be. Um, you know, we showed that we could hang at times with UConn. We played a really bad game against Kentucky, and we're still, you know, we are still right there in the end. Um, they're a really good team. Obviously, we blew out Tennessee for the most part, scored a hundred on them, um, and then beat a really good Oklahoma team. So, I love where the heels are at, playing really well. Um, and I'll share a quick story at the Oklahoma game. I was, you know, walking down to my seat a couple of minutes before the game started, and all of a sudden, um, obviously, like, Brady would have loved to make it, I'm sure, but it's a, quite a trip from Lithuania. But um, I see a guy walking over to me, look up, and boom, it's Brady's dad wearing a Brady Manic hoodie, the, you know, the patented black hoodie with his face on it and the headband and everything. Um, so getting to see him was awesome. He's a great guy. His family's awesome. Um, I think I've shared this story before, but I went on a cross-country road trip uh, out west after graduation. Drove all the way to Utah, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico. Um, and on our way back to New, uh, to North Carolina, I texted Brady and I was like, by any chance are you home in Oklahoma? And funny enough, he had you know landed uh the day before and he was like yeah come on so on our way back we stopped in Oklahoma I got to really know his family they cooked for us some really good food his dad took us out on the boat out onto the lake 
Um, so that's really, you know, when they say Carolina family, um, it, you know, it's true. Uh, everyone who I played with, um, and everyone sort of in the, the Carolina basketball family feels like a brother to me, feels like f- actual family. Um, getting to see Brady's dad was, uh, you know, just another example of that. So really cool time in Charlotte. It was awesome to see the Heels win such a big game. Um, and excited to see where they go from here. Uh, so with that, let me dive into Q&A. All right, my question this week comes from my cousin, my first cousin, Will. Shout out, Will. Everybody go follow him, Will Watkins. Um, He asks, you haven't talked about your JV journey to varsity that much. Tell us about it. Um, Thanks, Will. I I do realize that I haven't really talked about it that much. I think I've mentioned it here and there. You know, even in this episode, I talked about you know, playing with uh, with Rob Dillingham, but um, coming to Carolina and actually growing up, I I always knew that we had a JV program. I wasn't exactly sure, ex- you know, what it was. I didn't know what type of players who played on it. If you were recruited ahead of time, if you just tried out, um, but I always knew that we had a team, and I knew that from time to time, walk-ons would get pulled up. Uh, to varsity, you know, whether it be every couple years or whenever necessary or in the middle of the year. Um, I just heard a lot of stories about it. So when I got to Carolina, that was a goal of mine. I wanted to try out for the team, wanted to make the team, wanted to play on the team. However, tryouts were, I think, in October of my freshman year, so they weren't right away. And I remember feeling a little bit lost, like I didn't have an identity because I wasn't playing basketball, uh, you know, organized basketball. Um, fortunately, I was playing on the women's scout team. I sort of ran into the dad of a high school buddy um, or a guy who I'd played against in high school a lot. Like his dad, I knew his dad, and he was a, an assistant coach on the women's team. Coach Taylor, shout out him. Now he's now he's the head coach at Navy uh, for the women's team. Um, so I ran into him randomly at the student stores and he was like, Hey, didn't know you're coming here. Like, you know, we'd love to have you help out the women's scout team, basically being a practice player, helping with, you know, defense, playing defense, running other teams, play stuff like that. So I was like, yeah, sure. Like anything to keep me in the loop. So my first couple months of college, I was, you know, helping them out, playing a lot with the girls ball, like with a tiny ball um, having a lot of fun doing that, as well as playing pickup in Woolen and playing in the club pickup runs, uh, you know, across campus. So I was playing a lot of basketball, but it wasn't quite, you know, the organized uh, style that I was used to. So by the time JV tryouts uh, rolled around, you know, I was super pumped. I really wanted to make it, but I realized that it was going to be pretty competitive. I mean, a lot of guys were coming back from already being on the team. There were a very limited number of spots available. Um, so I knew I had to play well. And fortunately, I played well during the tryouts. And having played against Mondo in high school, he put in a good word for me. Um, I was able to stand out. Uh, 
you know, by shooting the ball, handling the ball well. So fortunately, I made the team. I was one of three freshmen to make it, along with Dewey Ferris and Rob Landry, who both ended up walking on, uh, which is really, I mean, we're like, we're basically the JV dream story. Uh, all three of us eventually walked on and, you know, accomplished our childhood dream. So that's a story for another day, but ended up playing JV, worked my way into the starting lineup pretty quickly. Um, by the time the first game rolled around, I was starting uh, shooting guard slash point guard. I mean, I've always been a combo guard. I can do both. So um, started playing well. I think I don't really know the exact exact stats, but I think I was like the second leading scorer behind Dewey. Dewey's a beast down low. His hook shot was unguardable. Um, he could also step out, hit threes, but uh, he had really good footwork down low was able to pretty much dominate down there um and one of my favorite moments or not even moments but just one of my favorite memories of jv is running the pick and roll with dewey um i think we're unstoppable you know if they if they drop back to guard dewey i would hit a three if they uh you know tried to trap me i'd just throw a little pocket pass to dewey for a layup so I loved running the pick and roll with Dewey. It was a lot of fun. We got creative. We got really good at reading and playing off of each other. So that was a really good time. Um, so by the end of the season, I think we were both playing really well. Uh, we, I think I probably averaged like maybe 12, like 12 or 14, something like that. Not exactly sure. Had some good games, had some bad games. But it was overall really fun, and especially as a freshman, getting that experience of playing with upperclassmen, playing in the Dean Dome, A. I mean that even it was even though it was empty, like it was awesome. My family was there, everything. So that was a one once in a lifetime opportunity. And truly it was once in a lifetime because as soon as we finished our season, COVID hit, which was really unfortunate. I mean, we were lucky to get our full season in. But I realized pretty quickly that, you know, J V wouldn't be happening the next year, which is pretty disappointing because JV had been the highlight of my freshman year um so anyway my sophomore year I was on campus um and I was back helping the women there was no JV season but I stayed in shape by helping out the women playing pickup outside when I could um since all the gyms were closed it was a pretty dark time I mean class was all online there wasn't a lot to do but definitely playing basketball uh, in an organized fashion with the women kept me from going insane and it also kept me in shape as well as you know I got some free food out of it as well not to mention you know making friends with all the girls and the coaches who are awesome um, shout out coach Banghart she uh she would always tell me to go chase my walk-on dreams so um, that was sort of my sophomore year experience and then uh, by the time junior season rolled around, I'd sort of been texting Coach Fred, who was my JV coach my freshman year, about any possibility of walking on, um, any way I could help the team as a practice player throughout the summer. And uh, then school started, and they announced that they'd be holding an open tryout for a walk-on spot, which, you know, at that point I was like, all right, this is my one, one and only opportunity to make the team it's take it or leave it it's go time and it felt like it felt like everything was riding on that on that tryout so for those couple of weeks leading up to it I shot every day I ran sprints every day I ate well um 
you know, I was not going to risk anything on this tryout. So, uh, and Dewey having made the team uh, our sophomore year, he was really helpful in getting shots up and also walking us through the plays once tryouts rolled rolled around. So, um, during the open tryout, I mean, there were a lot of people there, as you can imagine. Uh, but I played well enough. Rob and I actually both played well enough to get a call back. And I'm sure, like, you know, playing well on JV certainly helped. Um, so we got called back to join practice a couple days later. And we just got thrown in for 10 days. We were <laughs> trying to catch up very, very quickly, trying to learn all the plays, trying, you know, get in shape, uh, you know, with all, these All-Americans. It was definitely a brutal process. But at the end of 10 days, um, coach pulled us aside and said, you know, you've done great these last couple weeks. We'd love to have you on the team. Um, and that was easily far and above one of the best moments of my life. And it, I really went into shock. I mean, it didn't even feel real at the time. Uh, Will Lamb, my buddy who was a manager, I mean, I remember him peeking in on the conversation and I just saw a huge smile crack over his face, you know, as soon as he heard uh, that we had made it. Um, and yeah, I mean, the rest is history. I think it, you know, it hit me when I got home and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm on the team now. Um, I mean, it was, it's, it's hard to describe. And I think, you know, my process, given how unique it was going from JV to women's team over COVID and then walking on through a tryout, like, I think it's a very unique story and, um, I'm proud of where I started on JV jv blood runs deep um and obviously very proud of where i ended up so thanks phil thanks will for the question i think that was sort of a condensed version hopefully i'll have a a better story or a more detailed story shortly uh project coming up soon i'll I'll just drop that um but uh yeah thanks for the story or thanks for the question um glad i could you know, dive a little deeper into my JV, JV story. All right, on to story time. All right, fate has spoken and given me a number, a random number for story time. Um, this week's number arrives us at the 32nd game of my career against Virginia in the AC tournament my junior year um, and this is actually in Brooklyn uh, for those of you who don't know I, I currently live in New York City so Brooklyn is just uh, a stone's throw away if you will um, so we we're up in the Apple playing in the Barclays Center the home of the Nets uh, for the AC tournament and we blew out Virginia, uh, to put it nicely. Um, I grew up in Richmond, so Virginia's always been sort of a, a rival for a diehard UNC fan like myself. So getting to beat the brakes off of them um, in front of my mom, my dad, my sister, and my high school coach who had made it up, uh, made the trip up to watch us, um, that was a really cool experience. And funny enough, the... Uh, that game was a really good game that Brady played. I think in the, the Brady episode, we were talking about one of his dunks that he had, uh, which was definitely a highlight of that game. I think he, like, cut back door 
I think he cut back door. Maybe it was off an inbounds pass. And he sort of, like, dunked on somebody, um, which is sort of surprising that he has that athletic ability looking at him. But, um, I mean, it paid off. He had 21, 3 of 7 from 3, um, and a poster, or maybe two. So uh, that was a really fun game, and it was also yet another NBA stadium that I had, you know, played in. Um so that that was a really cool experience and being in Brooklyn we got to we got to practice in the the Nets practice facility which was absolutely insane. It's like 10 stories up in Brooklyn. This beautiful uh like two court uh floor basically and on either side um you know on the baseline of either side are these floor to ceiling glass windows so you can see all the way to the skyline of Manhattan uh it's just beautiful and even you know it was a I keep saying you know uh, <laughs> um it, it's those weird things that you sort of realize when you hear yourself talking a lot um but it wasn't actually great weather that day so you could sort of see the faint outline of the city but it was so cloudy that basically everything was white and it really it, it I mean, everything was illuminated on the court, and it really felt like we were playing in a cloud. Um, and getting to practice in an NBA practice facility felt like playing in a cloud because it felt like a dream. So it was a really cool trip, um, and being you know in my future, um, my future home city uh, or future city, whatever you want to call it, um, it was it was a really cool sneak peek. And uh, getting to play basketball with some of my best friends was absolutely a great experience um not to mention it was sort of the prereq for the prerequisite for our march madness trips uh it was really fun getting to stay in the city getting to stay in a hotel playing numerous games in a you know a tight window so um it it was definitely a precursor for our march madness run um but yeah that, that was a great pick um thanks number generator i appreciate it um But with that, let's roll on to the outro. All right, that wraps up yet another episode of The Biscuit Show. If you've made it this far, thanks for listening. Um, And I'd like to take just a quick moment to acknowledge the the beautiful life that Eric Montross lived, uh, having known him personally um, and run into him just a couple times throughout my two years on the team, I can say that without a doubt, he was one of the nicest guys that I've ever met. Um, he was always willing to, to crack a joke with you, to lift you up, no matter how much he knew you, um, and especially as a newcomer on the team my junior year. He certainly did that with me, Um, and he's really been the face of so many North Carolina basketball memories. He's a national champion, an All-American, but far and above that, more importantly than that, uh, he was and is uh, just a great person, a great human being, Um, and he spread kindness wherever he went. All right, well, thanks again for tuning in uh, to The Biscuit Show. Hope it was good. Hope you learned something. Hope you were inspired. Um, Keep chasing your dreams just like I did. It'll take you far. 
Um, and yeah, keep submitting questions. I love hearing questions and sharing stories. So anything you have to, uh, anything you're wondering about, send them my way. Um, but all right, everybody, I hope you had a Merry Christmas and hope you have a, a, a happy new year ahead. Um, and yeah, with that, I'll say thanks again for listening and go heels. Yeah.